Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. everyone and welcome to another episode of the LATAM Leadership Podcast at Robert Walters. My name is Richard Townsend. I'm the Country Director for Robert Walters Brazil and in this series of podcasts we aim to explore the leadership questions posed in different industries and to connect with some of the most uh, inspiring leaders across the region. For that reason I'm delighted today to welcome Rolf Hernger, the LATAM Head for Rush. Rolf, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for the opportunity and hello to everybody. Rolf, uh, I have a mountain of questions here to, to find out more about you and to find out more about your background. But before we get started, why don't you just give us a, a very brief introduction to, to you and, uh, and, and to your background, and then I'll jump straight in with the questions afterwards. Yeah, thanks, Richard. So my name is Rolf Enger, as I said, so I'm, I'm now leading the Latin business for the Roche Pharmaceuticals. But I think I have a 29 year story with, with Roche and probably I can, can reach a little bit further back. So my childhood dream was actually to, to be a medical doctor and uh, very much inspired by a book that I read when I was very young, uh, which is uh, a book by Christian Barnard who performed the first known heart surgery or heart transplant actually. And I think that was so inspiring that I thought, oh, okay, that's something that I wanted to do to make a difference in patients' lives. And um, well, circumstances then didn't allow me to, do, to study medicine and I went into economics. And uh, one of the decisions was that I didn't want to stay in Switzerland. I think I, I wanted to go international. And then my first job was actually in a trading company in Moscow, representing different Swiss companies at those times. It was the times of Perestroika, Glasnost and so and, and all the big changes in the former Soviet Union. And I think, um, yeah, which then led me when, uh, when, when we had conversations with Roche to, to think about, okay, wh what about the change into working for one company instead of a couple of them? Well, that's how mm -hmm. I, I, 29 years ago, came to Roche, uh, starting up the business in Central Asia and the Caucasus for, for Roche. So that's uh, in a nutshell the story. And then I, I, I came across, um, from, Lat from Central Asia, I came to Latin America. That wasn't planned. I actually wanted to go to, to Asia, uh, but uh, that was what was available. And then I got the Latin American fever. Uh, <laughs> I think I got infected and uh, I stayed here and I, I, I really wanted to stay in emerging markets because I think that's where we can make a big, bigger impact. And, and I think Roche has allowed me to connect the dream of medicine with uh, which is actually making a difference to patients' lives now. Fantastic. And it is very rare nowadays to find someone who's been in a company for, for, for 20 years. I assume you'll be celebrating your 30-year anniversary this year. What, what has kept you specifically at Roche within this time? You know, there's, there's plenty of other fantastic companies within the pharmaceuticals industry. What is so special about Roche? Well, I think there are, for me, probably two deciding factors. So one is um, the, the absolute 
decentralization and thinking about how can you make a difference locally and give a lot of freedom in this respect. And I think that's one thing that uh, that allowed me basically to, to do my best in, in every place where I had. And this connected to, I think, uh, a continuous, very interesting pipeline. So you don't mm -hmm. feel you, you, you do you sell things that don't make a real difference. So you were always on, uh, at somehow at the forefront of the science and at that, uh, and in this respect as well, being able to make a difference to patients. And, and you can see that. Uh, but I think this is just uh, what, what, what actually made me stay at, uh, at, at Roche now. Fantastic. And during these 20, 29, almost 30 years at Roche, you've had a considerable amount of success what are the, the key pillars that you have, have, have based that success upon? What is important to you and drives you every single day? Well, I think the, the first lesson when you go into markets where you don't know anything about this uh, and where you and I've been new to the pharmaceutical industry is that you have to trust on people. So you have to hire the right people and then help uh, or basically enable the people so that they can actually make the difference. Um, I think in Central Asia, so you have to imagine we, we actually started from scratch. So it was almost wow. a startup. Uh, and there you hired from the, yeah, from, from secretary to the, to the driver to everybody. So, and I think you, 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 you learn, I think in, through this, I learned very early on. So you rely on the right people, um, but as well, they make, uh, make a lot of, uh, of work to improve their skills. So I remember at those times I went to trainings in, in, in Roche uh, and then translated this to Russian and then gave it to the, to the people locally and things like that. I think because that makes a difference. So your own team is, is probably the ones that make you successful. As someone who has spent 10 years working in, in the recruitment industry, I couldn't agree more with the fact that, that the people are the, the core principle of any business. And having those right people and having the right people in the right position is, in my opinion as well, the, the key to success. So, so absolutely agree with you there. Now, Rolf, by my count, you have worked in seven different countries. Is that correct? Mm, I would have to count, but yeah, that's how I, started. <laughs> I started in okay. Switzerland, but uh, uh, then in Russia, uh, then in Kazakhstan, for a short time in Argentina, then in Costa Rica, uh, for Central America, Caribbean, then in Peru, then Colombia and Ecuador, then Brazil. So, so it, it's, a, it's a fair amount, yeah. Do, do you have a, a particular country that sticks in your mind, you perhaps? Uh, enjoyed the most or opened your eyes to new experiences without obviously wishing to offend people from the other countries which you, you won't choose but do you have a particular favorite of those countries? Well I think they're, they all have their, their elements and also I think uh, and, and you learn in every country something absolutely new but obviously uh, there are uh, some, so I think the very early experiences is opening opening up offices in Central, uh, Central Asia and the Caucasus. I think that's marking because you see what works, you see what uh, what doesn't work. But afterwards, I think my first general manager position was in Peru. Uh, my wife is Peruvian, so you can imagine that I have a special a special attachment to, uh, to Peru. And uh, yeah, I think uh, that uh, that lesson has probably that would be the place uh, I would say. Great. And I know from, from personal experience, being uh, English and, and working here in Brazil, working in 
a new region always brings specific cultural challenges. But now as the area ahead for LATAM, you have, um, I imagine many, many countries are underneath your remit. How do you adapt to the local cultures and allow for these differences, but still guarantee that the rush culture is maintained strong throughout all of these affiliates? Well, I think um, what we try to install is that the values and, and the mission, or, or uh, you could say the purpose behind it, it stays the same. So I think uh, um, I would say we are very deeply um, purpose-driven company. So that means if we really, and you will see that when you interview people at Roche, uh, so you will very often hear that we really want to make a difference to patients. And in mm -hmm. this respect, um, what you do is you adapt to the local health systems in order to make the most out of it. And, uh, mm -hmm. and again, it, it stands and falls with the people that you have. Um, I would say uh, there is there's always a certain flexibility. And I think I mentioned it before. So we want to give the local people as much as possible empowerment because at the end, they know what's best for uh, can be done in the country and then advise or, or be there as an enabler or, uh, or well, yeah, in this respect, basically to eliminate the barriers as much as we can so that they can do best their work. So this is related to your response from my, my first question where you mentioned that one of the factors which has kept you so long at Rush is this decentralization. And it sounds like you're now passing this to a certain extent, hands-off approach down to your teams beneath you. I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but reading that you're saying, deliver the results for me and improve the lives of our patients. And to a certain extent, you can do it how you like. Is, is, that, is that correct? Yeah, of course, uh, within the guidelines. So you, it has to be compliant. It has uh, it of course. cannot put of course. the company at risk or... As well, we have to take certain certain risks. If we want to shape health systems, if we want to be a health, a, a recognized partner, that's not always a, an easy ride. So you will get uh, successes, you will get setbacks. But I think it's, it, it is to create the culture where people feel that they, they don't have uh, somebody watching over their shoulders when, they, uh, when, they, when that's absolutely not necessary. No? So when you have different skill sets, some, some people, they need a little more help because they're probably first time mm -hmm. GM and, uh, and others, they, uh, they are very experienced where the conversations are probably more about, okay, what are we not seeing? What are the business development ideas or, the, or, or what, what still can be done? And I think that's, that's a bit how I would declare the philosophy. Right. And going back to these, these questions of the, the different cultures in the region, is there any one particular cultural challenge that sticks out to you from your career, perhaps something that has uh, been, been difficult to, to overcome, or perhaps you think back on it now and think, wow, what a learning experience that was? Um, there are so many. If, if you think about uh, the, the beginning, I think Central Asia and the, and the Caucasus are, there are many different things, uh, differences there mm -hmm. as well. So you have... Obviously, uh, countries they came. The, the only thing they had in common that at those times you could speak Russian to everybody, and to and that there was a, the former Soviet Union. But you cannot compare uh, a Christian, one of the oldest Christian cultures like Armenia or, or Georgia, with uh, let's say a Kyrgyzstan or a Kazakhstan in 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 the in the, in the traditions. 
And I think the, the, the key was always to try to adapt as much as possible. So, and, and sometimes even straight, uh, eat very strange things, but uh, in, 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 this, in these high level meetings, uh, but, but uh, again, I think uh, this, is, th this makes it interesting. Uh, it's probably that some experiences that you don't want to repeat, but you know, uh, if that opens doors and if that makes, uh, makes it more interesting uh, and, uh, and, and more successful, then why not? You know? So I think there are many, many of these kind of experiences. I would, but you know what? I think there is something that is very much in common. People want to make a difference. So the yeah. more we enable them, uh, then actually the cultural difference is, isn't that big, probably, as we, as we sometimes think that it is. Great, excellent. And talking now about making a difference, you said that at the start of your career, you, you wanted to become a med medical doctor. That didn't work out. And within Rush, there is a very strong culture for innovation, particularly within your product pipeline, uh, whether that be neurology, oncology, whether it be uh, within severe eye disease, any of the different areas that you function on. But that it, it will be led by the researchers and the, the the medical doctors within Roche. What what does this culture of innovation and putting patients first mean to you on a business level? Because yes, you're you're motivated by the, the 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 difference to patients, but also by financial results. What does it mean to you on a day to day basis? Well, I think um, the good thing is that I don't remember any time in my 29 years that I got the question regarding the, the quarterly results or the monthly results. So this shows you a little bit, uh, the, probably the luxury of a family controlled uh, business that still mm -hmm. can think in the medium to long term. And I think um, that helps because if you, if you think about many of especially in emerging markets, you need to have probably a, a medium to long-term view in order to make the best out of patients because many of the actions or many of the, of the, the, the things that we need to do, they are not that obvious. It's not the short-term. It's not just one, one additional patient. It's trying to solve health system issues so that you can have a bigger impact. And I think this, is, this makes a huge difference. Um, and I think that's, that's so as well, so motivating for our people that they can see that it's a you can have this a little bit longer term uh, longer term view. Obviously, yes, we have as many as all the companies we have our annual targets. We want to achieve that, but I think um, uh, yeah, it's not that we get nervous when the, when one one month a result is not coming in. So we we really think that that's, that's that makes a, a difference when I see it was many other colleagues have to face. I think that's a good, a, one of the great things of Roche. Excellent. And this medium to long term vision is this connected to that Latin America fever that you you mentioned? You know the the ability to make the difference in the medium to long term, even if the short term is extremely volatile, as it often is here in in Latin America. Yeah, but I think one of the good things about Latin America is that the people, they're extremely resilient. I think uh, you as well yeah, here in, the, in Latin America, you see that. So, you know, yeah. it's not that in this VUCA world that uh, every, every news that comes in changes, uh, changes really your, what you do. It is, yeah, okay, we have seen that, we, we know that, um, and uh, we, we adapt. And I think the adaptability is one of the great strengths of the people of Latin America. It's... Uh, 
it it helps us um, to to succeed as well uh, during these relatively um, relatively volatile times. And I think that the business result has shown that. So the, this is this is a region that has for years constantly grown and uh, and and delivered excellent results. Uh, I think thanks to this resilience and this. Yeah, this innovative spirit that as well exists in the in the people. Fantastic, and focusing now on this innovative spirit of Roche and of the people and, and of the people itself. Let's talk about an area that's very connected with with Robert Walters. Um, I'm aware that that some of your competitors are are watching you quite eagerly at the moment. I understand that Roche have made several recent changes to to the organisational structure. For example, redesigning some of the roles of salespeople or, or even I've heard doing away with account managers. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how that connects to the, the Roche vision? Yeah, I think it goes back to some of our earlier experiments that afterwards uh, comes into, into life for the, for the whole company. I think we saw that um, the more issues exist on what we call the patient journeys. And what is a mm -hmm. patient journey? So basically, when you, when you think about somebody that uh, potentially has a certain disease, let's say breast cancer. Well, okay, that will simplify a bit, but, but you know, you first need to get detected. So somebody needs to do a mammogram or, so, or something to detect that you, have a, you, you might have um, a disease. And mm -hmm. then this needs to go through the detection process so that you can get the biopsy and then potentially to treatment. And then depending on the system, uh, you need to get the right therapies or what is available. And then it has to be as well sustainable so that you can get to repeat treatments and things like that. So that's basically, in a nutshell, what is a patient journey? So the question that we have asked ourselves, okay, is it what really makes the difference? Can we, can we be a partner in improving health systems and making these patient journeys smoother and, and better executed so that more patients can actually be treated and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and probably this leads to, if you think about our very extensive pipeline, this leads as well, we cannot continue with the old approach of sending for each new indication or each new product, just, uh, just uh, some more sales rep behind it. We think that mm -hmm. by focusing on the patient journey and making sure that we use as well the digital tools correctly, we can bring this right information and get successful through uh, through improving patient journeys. And that is probably a little bit where we want. And then patient journeys, obviously, they go into what we would call uh, the more health system challenges. That's why mm -hmm. we have created as well a position which is called a health system partner. Basically, and there it depends, country by country are different, whether it's private markets or public markets. And thinking about how do we influence that not only an individual journey is improved, but the system itself is improved. And I think this is a bit where the mindset goes. And that's probably again, connected to what I said before, to the mid to long-term uh, is because if we are improving this patient journeys or health systems uh, journeys, then, then I think uh, we make a difference for more patients and it has a much more sustainable, um, well, that's a, it's a much more sustainable business in the long-term. Now, from my perspective, I think this is, is fantastic. And it's actually very different to what I see on a day-to-day -day basis. Most of the time that our clients are going through a organizational structural change, 
they're doing it for internal reasons and looking for internal efficiencies. And, and for me, it's really interesting to see here how you have put the, the client, or in your case, the, the patient first, and are then trying to rearrange yourselves internally to deliver that best service to the, to the patient. I think it's a, a great example of the innovation that you're doing. Yeah, I think it, it goes together with that. So something when you, when you talk to researchers and the people that really develop the medicines, so one of the most frustrating thing is, is for a researcher, if the solutions that you develop don't never end in patients. Now, mm -hmm. then think in our, in, our, in our emerging markets, that's as well our philosophy. So we have some great innovations. We know what they could do to, uh, to patients' lives, improving patients' lives. So we need to make sure that uh, we do our utmost that this actually happens, that uh, more patients and uh, if possible, all the patients that could benefit uh, really get it. And I think this is a bit the philosophy that we have. And that leads us as well to think about, okay, how do we improve health systems in a, uh, and make health systems much more sustainable? And I think one of the reasons is that uh, in this kind of activities, that I'm a co-founder of the Movement Health 2030 and um, uh, with the clear objective to say, make health systems itself more sustainable, uh, better equipped for the challenges of the future. And uh, I think there, there are many of them. And uh, for us, this is, this is something that is, is important. And it has, again, a systemic impact and uh, not only the short term. I find this really interesting. It's almost as though you are looking to create bridges between the, the, the three worlds, which often can fall into to thinking in isolation. And those three worlds being the world of business, the world of, of research, and then the world of the health systems, and really trying to embed yourself within those three areas. Uh, I think it's great. Um, really impressive. Uh, I, I didn't know at all about this uh, health 2030, I think you mentioned you being a yeah, co-founder. Can, yeah. mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about that, Rolf? Yeah, well, it probably, where or why it was born. Um, you can imagine that living and working for a long time now in Latin America, you see that basically the discussions are more or less similar. So if you, I, I actually say that uh, if you would take the year away from the different conferences and discussions, and you would look at something that was discussed 2015, 2020, probably the pandemic has changed a little bit, things, mm -hmm. you wouldn't see too much difference. We all know that the health systems are on strains, that there are probably investment issues, that there are issues with the aging population, that actually changes the, the needs of, especially here in Latin America or in all the emerging markets, changes slowly, slowly the needs of a health system. And we all know that and we all discuss this. And the question we ask ourselves, well, why there is so little difference in the discussion between a year to year? And then um, we first thought about forming a Russia Institute of Sustainable Healthcare. Mm -hmm. And luckily, advisors like Professor Ifatatun from Harvard or um, uh, one of the partners we have in Copenhagen from the Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies plus people from the World Bank and, uh, and the IDB, we, we actually came to the conclusion that this would be a failed attempt again because it's, it's just one industry that or one company that wants to solve something. So the, the feedback we received was very clear. Look, this is a cross-industry challenge. 
And if we want to do a difference, it has to be in a movement where everybody that has an interest in, in health can actually join and work together to, for solutions. And the second thing we said, you know, the, when you want to have an impact, it has two things that you need to think about. Sometimes it's about innovation. So you have to probably solve through innovation a particular issue. And sometimes it is policies. Very easy example. So I think yeah. you all know that telehealth is in the is in well in discussion for years. But the application in the countries basically depends on regulations. So there mm -hmm. you would have to make an, a, a policy impact in order to make a change. While sometimes some issues are technology driven or innovation driven, where you basically have hospitals that have health data, but they cannot talk to each other because they have different systems. And as they don't cannot talk to each other, you actually create an inefficient system because you cannot exchange uh, patients to get, uh, according to the available resources that were there. So by improving this, by creating this visibility, you could improve the whole system as well and make, uh, make a bigger difference. And I think this is a bit the philosophy that we have. We want to do both. We want to do policy issues and we want to do um, uh, issues that are more related to innovation issues. Excellent. And Ralph, when we think about the, the future of healthcare on a personal level, what excites you the most? Well, I think what we have seen is many, many diseases that uh, when, I, when I remember, I think when I walked first time in Kazakhstan into a hospital, in an oncology hospital, it was a very sad, yeah, very sad story. Uh, because mostly what the physicians told you, yeah, there are very few things where, which you can do. Uh, most of it is actually a, a death sentence. Um, and if you walk today into one, you can see that there is clear differentiation, especially for early yeah. detected patients. You can actually give them, it can, it, you can make it out of it uh, either a chronic disease or some of them you can basically cure that uh, in 10 years, if they don't, the cancer doesn't come back or 20 years, depending on the follow-up that you have. So I think that this makes an enormous difference. Or if I just look at the recent development in hemophilia, so hemophilia is, a, is, a, is are the people that blood uh, that, that actually bleed because of the um, of, of some defect that they have from its genetic, and you can stop this and you can basically give these people a normal life. Um, so so you see that medicine can make a difference. But as well on the technology level, I think the pandemic has shown us. Um, how probably the old way of doing things that everything has to be that you have to walk into a doctor's office or do you have to walk into a hospital that's not the future um, mm -hmm. we have seen the possibilities of, of telehealth of teleconsultations but you have as well we have seen examples of remote monitoring so instead of going into the hospital for your controls uh, if you have for example a cancer or things like that you can do this on a on a, on a remote way, which I think slowly, slowly um, changes the, the health system. Or even if you go further, so I think many things just by the digital tools or the technologies, you might get much closer to the patients. And especially in our remote regions, um, diagnosis can probably be done with a much smaller tool. Instead of walking into a hospital, it can be done in, in a 
in rural areas, but the, the interpretation of the images, for example, that you do, they can be done on a distance and you don't need to have the specialist everywhere. So I think there are many things that make sure that, uh, or that the health systems are going to improve. The possibilities are there. So what we need to make sure that these are actually used and uh, yeah, that we can make the real, real difference to health systems and to patients. It's really interesting. This change that the pandemic brought about is evident in almost all of the industries across the economy, and particularly within healthcare. This digitalization and this 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 now almost insatiable appetite to digitalize everything is really going to bring huge benefits. How how is Ross positioned for this change? Is this a mindset that is coming from the top? But is it is it now ingrained this digitalization within the business, or is it uh, still a work in progress? I, think, uh, I, I wonder if anybody has really solved all of this because I think there are a lot of ideas, there are a lot of things that we can do. So I think we do much more trying to get closer to the patients, um, client, trying to solve the issues that, uh, as I said before, so that we try to avoid that everything is, is basically hospital-based and, and which creates these waiting lines that you have very often in public systems. Uh, so, I think the ideas are there. Um, sometimes regulations are not there. So it seems that mm-hmm. you have to kind of do that you have to influence. As I said before, for that's one of the tasks we see as well in movement health. But the, the other thing is as well that uh, that some of the technologies that just um, probably need to need to be more mature so that, that mm-hmm. easier and, and then as well get cheaper so that you can you can massify it. So so I think things like this are there. Um, as well, we think about the, the, the power of, of data. Now, I think um, what we see today, what we call real-world evidence, is uh, basically uh, collecting what happens to patients in real life, which gives us a lot of insights what's really working outside of the very controlled uh, environments of clinical trials that we do. And then, and basically, it gives you a much higher number. So, especially for rarer diseases, you get better, better insights. Uh, and uh, so, there is a lot of power in this, in in this, in the future of technologies and, and data to imp- to improve lives for the future. Excellent. Now, Ralph, we're coming to towards the end of our episode today, and I just want to ask you one last question. This is a podcast series about talent and looking at talent within various different industries and learning our lessons from talent. And I always try to ask my guests at the end of the show, how do you define talent? What does it mean to you? Talent is is something very hard to define because I think all of us have certain talents and uh, some of them we can further develop but there is always an element to this. There is is what you what you aspire to, and as well what you are willing to invest to develop your talents. Uh, the other thing is as well, um, yeah, what what are you really your interests? I think mm-hmm. uh, you know basically what we can as a company and what we can as leaders. We can open doors, we can give opportunities, but afterwards it's at the, the personal level to decide what they want to do and what, what they are ready to do and what they, what they can actually can do due to the personal circumstances around, around them. And as well, for example, risk taking. So how much risks are you ready mm-hmm. to take 
and and whatnot. So I think it's a. Uh, I would say we can help to detect and, uh, the, the different skill sets of, of people and then try to build them into the right environment so that they can, can grow. But there is a lot of it. It's, it's your own investment as well. So it's, a, it's not an easy, easy say. It's not the recipe for everybody the same. No? Yeah, exactly. It, it wasn't intended to be an easy question to finish the show. <laughs> it's always uh, interesting to hear other people's answers and, and particularly interesting. You're the first person to talk about risk taking, being a part of talent and how that combines with, with personal attributes. Um, so thank you. Uh, Rolf, thank you for, for coming on to the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear some of your insights and hear a little bit about your own career story, but also the vision for Roche for, for, for the present day and also for the future. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot to all the listeners. No problem. And for anyone that's listening, if you want to hear more of our series of podcasts, feel free to visit any Robert Walters site uh, here in Brazil. That's robertwalters.com.br. And you'll find all the details there. Uh, speak to many leaders. And we hope you join us soon in the future. Thank you very much. <laughs>